I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome to another episode of Relentlessly Resilient, where real people share real-life experiences and the tools they've developed to move forward and live their best life. I'm Jenny Taylor. And I'm Michelle Scharf. Today we are honoring the month of the military child. April is designated as the month of the military child, a time to honor the sacrifices made by military families worldwide. With an emphasis on the experience of dependent children and military members serving at home and overseas. And today we have a special guest, a new friend of mine. His name is Luke Brooks. Hi, Luke. Hi. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. I met Luke this year. Brand new friend. Brand new friend. I was at the Republican Lincoln Day Dinner, which is our annual fundraiser in Davis County. And I saw he and his brother standing in a circle, and I've been around politics for a very long time. I didn't recognize either of these men. Who are these newcomers? Yeah. (laughs) And I noticed that they weren't really connecting with other people. Other people weren't really talking to them. And I just thought, this is interesting. So I left my booth. I had a booth there because I'm running for office. I left my booth, and I walked up to him, and I said, hey, should I know you? (laughs) (laughs) Who are you and how did you find me? (laughs) And we started talking and I learned so many interesting things about he and his brother. And and he said that he was really interested in politics, that he's pretty new to Utah, um, but he is a retired Marine and um, working for one of our big firms up in Davis County, big employers, Northrop Grumman. And we just started talking and hit it off and became friends. Went to a little powwow chit-chat lunch and uh, have gotten to know each other. So I'm excited to talk with you today and share some of your experiences as being a military child, being raised with a father in the military. So Luke, tell us more about you, who you are, and and what it was like growing up in the military. For sure. And thank you so much. And just a quick correction, something that might be even more exciting for today's discussion. Uh, <laughs> my father was uh, in the military. He was in the Navy uh, in the late 60s, early 70s. Uh, but he got out. It was my mother who oh. actually retired as a lieutenant commander from the Navy. So, so your mom and dad it, are both she... sailors. Yes. Yes. Okay. My mom actually made it a career, though. And your dad had done it for a time. And that then... is interesting. My grandfather was in the Navy. This is great. Oh, so, appreciate it, sir. Well, yeah. clearly it must not have been a terrible experience enough that you chose to join the Marines. Uh, what, what's it like to be a military child? Michelle and I have no idea, and I would bet neither do most of our listeners. Right. Fair question. It's, uh, it's uh, a trial by fire. Uh, <laughs> a lot of time left to your own devices Oh, uh, at times. Um, my mother being obviously, uh, the main one, the military is when we were kids, um, she was away at work a lot. She worked a lot at night. She, she worked for, uh, uh, Pack fleet and 
in the Pacific. We lived in uh, Hawaii at the time. And so she would work kind of odd hours. And, and my dad was a truck driver. So he was actually gone back here uh, in the States quite a bit. So, so how, we, did, uh, how did you uh, yeah, do that well, as a, not just two working parents, but two kind of remotely working parents? Yeah. Is that how you're raising yeah. devices? <laughs> As I say about my well, poor well, kids, well. they're raising themselves. It's unfortunate, but true. Right. Yeah, and, and that's honestly, uh, from my experience, that, that's how it is. Uh, a lot of daycares, a lot of uh, parents getting together with other parents and, you know, saying, hey, I'll watch your kids when I can, if you can watch my oh, kids okay. when you can. Kind of that community. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it takes what it takes a village to raise a child type thing, and that's really kind of how it is in the military uh, for a lot of folks. And that's how it was for us. Um, I have an older brother who, as Michelle mentioned, uh, she met. His name's Matt. Uh, he ended up uh, going into the Marine Corps, the service himself, uh, as I did. And we both uh, we have a younger sister, and the three of us, uh, thick as thieves, trying not to get into too much trouble uh, when we were younger. But yeah, quite often we were. Uh, left to to take care of each other, and uh, I think we're we're better rounded people for that. I was going to sure. say you don't say that in a resentful way, which no is no, makes no, me hopeful I... for my poor kids because <laughs> you know um yeah tell tell us a little bit about how you're you're better for each other. How do you help each other? And what's the age gap between the three of you? How close and how old uh, were all, you? We're all two years apart. Uh, my brother was born in 82, me in 84, my sister in 86. Okay. Uh, my sister and I actually on the same day, two years apart. What? My parents like to joke about that. That's yeah. fun. Oh, that's crazy. Like What's her name? Yeah. Uh, my sister's name is Elena. Elena. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So um, tell us. She, kind nev- of- she never yeah, She never went to the service herself, but she's had a pretty uh, interesting life. I'll say that. Well, very cool. So tell us what it's kind of like the day in the life uh, of a military kid. So you're you already said that you're that there's a lot of like shuffling. There's a lot of free time shuffling, but there's probably also a lot of responsibility to not get in too much trouble, right? Yeah, uh, a lot of responsibility. I mean, everyone everyone around you as a as a child is is like an authority figure. And my, as my mother was an officer, uh, we lived in officer housing on base. And, you know, it, as a, as a child, you're kind of unaware, but it would be, I would say similar to living around a bunch of cops. You basically just see people coming home in uniform every day. So there's a sense of everyone around me is an authority figure. Everyone would tell on me <laughs> if I, well, I and the military has crazy. a sense of authority in the first place. What a th- the authority is a thing. So I can see that. Yes, very much so. Um, but, uh, definitely, um, interacting with other kids that, you know, also, uh, their parents weren't around maybe a lot, things of that nature. Um, I'd say one of the big things is definitely, uh, whether it's through your parents or just through living on base or being associated with other military families, definitely a sense of duty and country, I think is just ingrained into you at a young age, even to, you know, riding your bikes and all of a sudden you hear taps, you know, and mm-hmm. you, you stop every and day. get off your bike and right? every, every day, day. And, every day yeah, close in the morning and the evening. Yeah. And when you see adults doing that as well stopping in their vehicles they stop you know their pt and you know everyone stands at attention 
it's that from such a young age, you think that's how everyone is. And then you, then you <laughs> so don't live on base maybe anymore. The bigger, yeah, and, maybe the bigger yeah. question is, what's it like to be a military child moving out of the military? Um, you know, and, yeah. and what's that like to go to the civilian world? Did you ever live not on po- on base, or were you always in yes, military housing? Yes. No, the, uh, there was a. I'd, I'd say more than half the time we ended up living uh, not on base. Uh, out in public housing and, and things of that nature, and yeah, there's a there's a big there's a big difference. The further you get away from military installations, um, the more kind of reverence there is for what your parents do. The closer you get to a base, let alone on a base, um, no one really cares. Everyone's parent is in the military. Um, but when we lived further away from base, uh, certainly whether it was teachers or just other kids we would interact with oh man your your mom's in the navy oh she's a captain or you know she's a lieutenant she's a lieutenant commander she's a commander oh that's cool what's that like yeah. um and, and just the opportunity that presents itself to military kids um that you don't see as much in civilian life so in the navy they have something called tiger cruises so where basically a ship will be doing more or less like a maintenance run but family members and other people can ask to come on the ship for the day and the ship will do high speed test trials and maybe even some uh you know weapons testing and stuff like that that's out in the middle of the ocean and it's a really cool experience to be out on a cruiser or destroyer for a day and take a tour of the ship and then you come back and these are just experiences i took for granted as a kid and it's my opinion that there's so many opportunities there as a military child to, to really experience a lot of things that other kids don't, uh, which is a, a big plus. So did you move around a lot? You mentioned Hawaii. Like, How many different places did you live in your first 18 years of life? <laughs> so I, I, uh, I actually consider the country home. <laughs> so, oh. um, I, <laughs> Where I are was, you from? Uh, my, the country. My, my, yeah, my, my, uh, my older brother was born in Guam. The U.S. territory in the South Pacific. My sister and I were both born in Hawaii. Uh, my parents' family, both sides, most of them reside in Colorado. So we lived in Colorado for a time, lived in Texas, lived back in Colorado, uh, spent most of our time growing up in Florida. My mother's final uh, duty station was uh, a Mayport Naval Station in Jacksonville, Florida. And uh, she ended up retiring out of there, so we ended up going through middle school and high school there and just really appreciate all the opportunities that the military had presented to her, which we also got to take advantage of and seeing different parts of the country and living in different parts of the country. So you you were raised in this lifestyle, and what made you want to get involved in the military yourself, and how do you go from being a Navy son to a marine a navy, a navy brat a yeah. navy brat i didn't want to say <laughs> <Yeah>. brat <laughs> so i yeah. said son you heard so, my no, pause okay. i never know if that's a negative content yeah yeah I, I you know it's I, i'm indifferent to it i think most people take it as uh, some type of negative connotation but it's okay um i no, think it's, it's actually funny, meant uh, as a compliment but i, I but the term oh, brat yeah. itself is kind yeah. of sounds it's not, not complimentary. complimentary right I mean, the compliment right, right. is is that you've been able to be well traveled. Usually, I think that's what I've always assumed that that meant. But 
Anyway, so tell us yeah. tell us about how you, you're 18, you go off and do whatever you're going to do, and then when do you sign up, and how do you make that jump? Yeah, well, just to backtrack one second, I, it's kind of a funny anecdotal story. So I think I was in the fifth or sixth grade, and my mother came home one day. Uh, so this is kind of late 90s, I think. My mother came home from work one day, uh, you know, working on the base. Uh, at this part of her career, she was in the uh, health service, so uh, she was a physician's assistant. And she came home, and she just kind of ranted and raved for a few minutes about how the lack of discipline in the military had gone down, and she had had a bad day. And I guess there was some sailor that didn't render her a salute. And after the day she had had, uh, she just took this last gesture as just this casualness, like, hey, where's the good order and discipline? And she let this gentleman have it. And she came home, and she's on this little rant. And she finished with this. You know, a Marine, I could probably depend on a Marine to do the right thing. Ah. And for whatever reason, that always stuck with me and to a degree my brother. Um, and so all through high school, obviously 9-11 happens. And I always told myself if I joined the service, uh, the only one I ever really considered was Marine Corps. Like, hey, if I couldn't be a Marine, then, you know, I, w I would figure out something else. I was really encouraged to go to college after high school. Uh, I attempted that. School really wasn't on my mind at the time. Uh, I felt like I really wanted to serve. So I did end up enlisting into the United States Marine Corps and going to boot camp in October of 2004. My brother was finishing up his degree. He came to my boot camp graduation, Paris Island, South Carolina. And he will say something different. <laughs> He'll say, oh, uh, I, I inspired you. And I'm like, no, you came to my graduation. And you're like, <laughs> I was there I first. I want to do this. Yeah. Uh, in any case, uh, he ended up finishing his degree, and he became an officer in the United States Marine Corps. He's oh, actually cool. still in. He's no longer on active duty, uh, but he is still in an active drilling reserve component, and he's a major now. Uh, and I'm very proud of them. Oh, that's very awesome. We need to take a break. We'll be right back. Yeah. And uh, I can't wait to talk to you more about your experiences in your, your own service. We'll be right back. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we're back. Luke, it's been fun to hear your story and kind of your experiences of growing up and what inspired you. I love that your mother was the inspiration and that her words of ultimate respect in her mind, what that she could still depend on a Marine to be that level of respect um, that stuck with you. And I will say from the moment I met you and your brother both, I can see that you hold your yourselves with just such a level of uh, confidence 
And a level of respect for your fellow man. And it's one of the things that I really, I saw in you immediately. So um, you're welcome. So tell us, did you, in your service in this past time, did you serve? Did you see battle? Did you go to to war? Tell us a little bit about your service. I enlisted in October 2004 and had my first deployment. My unit got called up in 2005, and uh, we deployed pretty much the entire year of 2006. I went to Iraq, part of the uh, dam security unit, but it was an actual dam, uh, like a reservoir. <laughs> um, it's like a favorite Utah joke. Yeah, yeah. I was basically, the best way to describe it, I don't know if anyone's ever seen the movie Apocalypse Now, but I was on a gunboat on the Euphrates River, and we would patrol up and down the Euphrates uh, all the way from the city of Fallujah to the Syrian border, a small town called Anna, and right next to it, Rawa. And so that was, I did that for a year. And uh, it was a pretty unique experience. We were the last, uh, one of the last units in the Marine Corps to be a, a small craft unit, basically gunboats that whole. MOS, so that whole job field was, uh, after my deployment, was actually handed over to the Navy. So that no longer, after that deployment, it no longer ended up being a job field within the Marine Corps, which is very sad because it was a hidden treasure. Uh, so interesting that yeah. you end up on a gunboat as a Marine and your mom was the Navy officer. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Right, right. <laughs> and then, yeah. And then that is no longer a part of the Marine Corps, but it goes back to the Navy. I just, it, there's some yeah, irony in that. Yeah, <laughs> there is. There is. Uh, yeah, they called it the Brownwater Navy during Vietnam. They got rid of it. The Marine Corps saw it as an asset, picked it up, uh, but then handed it back over during uh, Operation Iraqi Freedom and whatnot. Came home, uh, deployed again to Iraq, uh, to the city of Ramadi, which is the capital of Al Anbar province. In 2008, was pretty much there. That was a very calm deployment, pretty much a police action within the city. I was driving a big MRAP, like up-armored vehicle at this point, and uh, we would resupply uh, all these different checkpoints that were there to police the city and do QRF, like quick reaction force security. But that was actually a pretty calm uh, deployment. Got back from that. And another company in my unit, a Delta company, was looking for uh, non-commissioned officers that had deployed a few times, had combat experience, to volunteer to go with them to Afghanistan. And I ran home and I talked to my wife because the executive officer, the XO, uh, asked me and two other individuals specifically if we would do it. Uh, So I ran home and I talked to my wife. And I said, they need me, and I want to go. Are you okay with that? She said, yes. And I volunteered, and I turned right around 2009. I was in Afghanistan. And that that was a much uh, different experience. I was in the Helmand province in southern Afghanistan and ended up doing a lot of unique things and uh, a lot of things I'll remember for the rest of my life, good, bad, or indifferent. But uh, I really appreciate all that time and that part of my career. I met some incredible people people I'll remember for the rest of my life and people I'll call friends and brother for the rest of my life. So I wouldn't give it up for anything. Okay. So you very casually mentioned your wife. I want to back up being a military wife. I want to know a little bit, just real quick. How did you meet her? 
you were already in the Marine Corps, it sounds like, when you met her. I know we don't want you to speak for her, but it takes no, no, a whole no. new resilience to be a military spouse. But you're you're in the military Marines. Yeah. I love that you said they need me and I want to go. What's that dynamic like in your in your home life? Because, of course, the, the military is your profession. But what about this personal side? Just give us like a quick glimpse. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I got married really young uh, to an incredible woman. We, as soon as I was in the Marine Corps, uh, we met, we got married. Within a, a few months, we found out we were pregnant. Uh, my oldest son was born during my first deployment. I wasn't there for his birth. I actually found out like three days after the fact on a really crummy satellite phone that was going in and out uh, that I had had a son. Uh, See, but that's a huge, you talk about the military no. child. Yeah. You now are a military yeah. child and having a child that you're away from because of your military service. I think that is worth, you know, pausing to think about what that is like for those of us that take these wonderful freedoms sometimes for granted. So thank you for that. That's got to be difficult. Yeah, uh, no, it, it was. A, it was. A, it was a very unique moment. Um, I wish I could be there. Uh, could have been there, but uh, you know, everything happens for a reason. Yeah, uh, my my wife at the time, unfortunately, uh, just uh, foreshadowing, uh, we're no longer together. Okay. But uh, she she did an incredible job. We had a, a wonderful marriage. Two boys. And she was always very supportive of all my deployments, super proud of me. And yeah, definitely my partner in crime and my best friend during all so the how years. how far apart yeah. are those boys? What and what years were they born? Were they both kind of born during this active time of your service? Uh yeah, very much okay. so. Um my oldest uh, they'll both be sixteen and twelve this year, so they're four years apart. Okay. Uh, my oldest was born in oh six, my youngest born in 2010. And it was right when I got back from Afghanistan that my very supportive, very loving wife at this point said, Hey, you listen here, mister, you got to give me some time. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're, we're going to reenlist, but you're going to go to a non-deployable unit. Okay. And I said, okay. So I that completely was a shifting gears, a shifting gears of your professional yeah. life. Okay. Very much so. Uh, so I, I did reenlist into the Marine Corps, and uh, we moved from North Carolina. We were stationed in Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. I reenlisted to become an instructor in my job field. Uh, so we moved out to California, to the Southern California, Oceanside area. I was stationed at Camp Pendleton to teach students. And later, I, I ended up teaching the officer class for my job field, which is Amphibious Assault, or 1833 for people that follow the uh, MOS numbers. And we went out there and we were there for two years, had a great time, you know, taking the boys as often as we could to the beach or up to LA or Laguna, Disney, Legoland. Uh, and it was so really, they're really a, a getting like time. the, they're getting kind of the, the premium side of the month of the military child when you're right. Dad's right. an instructor. He's not deployable. You live in California where you pretty much, you just mentioned all the places my kids would die to go today. And you, uh, you're, right. you're able to give them that. That's, I'm glad that you had some of that family time because it's demanding that dynamic of a, a family and a marriage and children and mom or dad in the service or mom and dad. And so it's, I how think great it's incredible could, how great you could take your combat experience and train others because of course that that's far better than a textbook talking about philosophy of amphibious right. assault. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Thank you so much. And it, it was a, an incredible experience and to have that time with my children. And, and even honestly, just military service itself sometimes can really shine through to be such a benefit. My wife and I and our kids had the opportunity to live in Southern California. We lived on base in a house that right around the corner overlooked the Pacific Ocean. Wow. I walked and rode my bike to work quite often. And just that same house and our square footage uh, would have been completely unobtainable <laughs> for me had I, had I been uh, out, out, of, out in town. Far out of budget for a civilian, yeah. for sure. Oh, oh, for sure. For sure. It would have been astronomical. But being in the military and being on base and, and having a family afforded me that opportunity. And uh, it's, it's just one of, the, one of the great perks to serving. So um, unfortunately... That's where we get to the, the next chapter. In the Marine Corps, there's something called the HIS team, and they'll go around the entire Marine Corps looking for people to be drill instructors and recruiters. And so when the Marine Corps doesn't have enough people to volunteer for those duties, oh, they just kind of go around and they snatch you up. So unfortunately, we were only there for two years, and uh, this HIS team came and said, hey, Sergeant Brooks, no tattoos, no bad record. Uh, everything looks, you look sharp. Uh, you're too darn you're good. Be a recruiter. <laughs> yeah, you're, yeah, you're too darn good. You're going to be a you're, recruiter. You're actually and what we the, want potential Marines to see and think about the Marine Corps. So poster exactly, child. Exactly. And it's, uh, it's really considered an honor within the Marine Corps, you know, to go and be stationed out in major municipalities and be that guy or that lady that walks into the high schools and the community in uniform. You're away from base. You're away from other service members, and you're just out there representing the Marine Corps. Yeah. So it's considered the an ambassador. honor, but it's also, yeah, what it is a brutal, brutal, just thankless job. <laughs> and uh, it, was after, it was actually after those three years and the fact that the Marine Corps wanted to send me to Detroit when I had never even been to the Midwest. I decided to uh, get out of the Marine Corps after about 12 and a half years after recruiting duty in Detroit. Okay. So, Well, that's a great service. I mean, 12 and a half years is 12 and a half more than most Americans give. And it sounds like you were right. able to have – I'm thinking of the impact you've had and the legacy of your service. You know, we talk a lot about legacy on this show, and, and sometimes we associate legacy with deceased people. And yet look at your legacy right. from carrying on your, your mother and father's Navy careers into your own Marine exactly. career. And what you did in, in combat and overseas and then coming back this, not only were you the instructor that, of course, helps prepare those who are serving next, but you were right there with the young people. And I have a, a soft spot for recruiters. I work, I'm a volunteer civilian aide for the Secretary of the Army here in Utah. And so I work a lot with our oh, Army excellent. recruiters. And I get what you're saying, that it's a it's, it can be a brutal, thankless job. You are tasked with making sure the future of this country is secure. And that is no small task. So I I appreciate those 12 and a half years of service and everything up to those last two that you could take to the recruiting field or into the classroom even. So that's um, yeah. much to be proud of and, and admired and much appreciated by those of us, again, that get to take advantage of the freedoms you offer us. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. And yeah, the pylon recruiting can be rough. It, it can be rewarding. I I hands down absolutely know in my soul that there's a handful of folks I absolutely 100% change their lives for the better. And uh, that 
that's what can definitely make that duty rewarding, um, especially in a place like Detroit. There's definitely people that need some more opportunities. So. Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to think about any childhood stories or military as a child story that would maybe be good to share. And then we're going to ask you a question about the traits of resilience that you learn in being raised in the military as a child. We're going to be right back. back have you (laughs) had enough time to consider a story for us about what it was like being raised as a military something maybe funny or challenging or tell us a a story of memory of your childhood as a military child certainly living on base is very reminiscent of any 80s kids movie that you can (laughs) enjoy um you know, in the sense so of, true now that you say that, I can think of like 50 in my head in this exact moment. Your childhood yeah, on I, TV. I mean, for, yeah, for me, I, it's it's kind of like The Goonies. Um, That's you know, the you first movie on, that came live... to mind. That's my favorite movie. <laughs> it is. That's a, it's, a, it's such a wonderful movie. And when you live on base, you can go and you can ride your bike. And especially being in, uh, on a Navy base, you're always close to the ocean. My brother, my sister, and I, we would go to the beach and walk up and down for hours looking for shark's teeth and just in the middle of the day and get on, ride our bikes, and we'd like be riding past like warships and golf courses. And we would literally be out all day. And it's the type of thing where even when you run into a, dare I say, it, a strange adult, it's it's someone from the base. It's someone else's parent. Like it's such a, yeah. a feeling of community, and you feel you can really kind of talk to or interact with just about anyone, and that you're safe. And for a young kid, you know, whose parents watch the news and they see crime and all these different things, and hey, make sure you lock the door. I, I mean, I didn't grow up with many people that locked the doors. You're in that secure um, so community. A, yeah. What a beautiful yeah, you're in that, way to look at it. You're in that secure community. And uh, so so that was really wonderful and uh, definitely a sense of freedom growing up that I don't think a lot of other kids and a lot of other, a lot of other communities had. But with that, it goes kind of hand in hand. The quality of individuals, as I've gotten older, we could have communities like that today, anywhere, if everyone held themselves to, to a higher high standard, standard. Like, yeah, that's right. Just, just like, just like the folks in the military do. You know, if you've chosen to just serve four years and make it a career, there's some common cause and some right. commonality between well, all and, of us and common here. commitment. Not just, hey, I love America exactly. and you love America, but I'm going to commit to living my life in such a way that your kids are safe around me, and that your community yeah. is is a stronger place because we're like minded in that way. I think you bring up a really good point. We've talked about this before. We could have world peace tomorrow. Yeah. All it takes is for each of us to individually be at peace with ourselves. Yeah. Which, and then to show kindness, right. love, and compassion for our fellow man. People. And that is it. That is all it takes. And so the fact of the matter that we don't have it 
is because we aren't all practicing that. And even in small ways. So I have a daughter who... Maybe especially in small ways. Yeah, I think it is very important. I have a daughter who recently got a ticket and she called to say things about the police officer. And and I restrained myself from reminding her, well, you are actually speeding, so you deserve the ticket. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, you know, it's... It's in those moments that we get to be most challenged, right? And I'm not perfect at it either, so I'm not saying that I am. And nobody is, yeah. I've had a few choice moments on this campaign trail (laughs) that have challenged me. (laughs) But um, I would say that it really is just that moment. And, And I think that when you're on a base and you are held to a higher standard, it's easier to to do that in a more meaningful, conscious way. Because your job depends on on it because there's expectations of you. And, you know, I I think that that would be a great message to lead off with today. If we say that we honor our military vets, maybe one of the best way we can honor them is to just try a little harder to hold ourselves to a little bit better standard. Well, to live that same level of honor that Mm -hmm. we we all look to and say, wow, you're this honorable community. Well, what's stopping me from being honorable? Right. I want to know, Luke, can you answer Michelle's question from before the break? What have you learned about resilience, not only in the military, but growing up in the military? How has that shaped your concept of what resilience is? And, and that's super important. And that's one of the biggest things when I raise my own two boys and uh, my brother talks about having kids. He doesn't have any kids yet. But we look fondly on how we grew up. And quite often, you know, our dad would be away trucking around the country and our mom would be working odd hours. And we would look at each other, honestly, as young as I think my brother was eight or nine saying, hey, what are we doing for dinner? And, and trying to figure those things out and learning at a very young age to overcome what seem like really simple obstacles. But when you're seven and nine and you got a five-year-old that's looking at you and you're all like, what do we eat? Or, when is mom coming home? Um, that can be difficult in, in that time. But it just made all of us so independent growing up that I think a lot of youth today, they honestly kind of fear if I could say that, like graduating high school, like, what do I do next? What yeah. comes next? I'm, I'm, I'm afraid to leave my parents home. I'm afraid to leave this, this safe space, so to speak. And for me and my brother and my sister, it was, hey, what comes next? Uh, it doesn't really bother me if, uh, you know, I'm not worried about being able to take care of myself. I've been doing that since I was six and seven. And so I think as far as just making you a, a better, more well-rounded person, definitely the structure. And as you guys just said, like growing up in an environment where everyone tries to hold themselves to a higher standard and then just the resiliency of figure it out for yourself to a degree, Um, even at a young age. As a parent, I was horrified to think like, man, if I did some of the same stuff my parents did, I, I just... I don't know if I could leave my boys at the house by themselves for that long, or I don't know if I could trust them uh, to do this. And I have been a bit, definitely more of a helicopter parent than my parents were with me. And um, for better, for worse. Yeah. I pray every day. My boys <laughs> look forward to the next step in life as opposed to being uh, nervous about it. So um, I, definitely 
I love that in your resiliency, I'm not sensing any bitterness from you because I can think of children in a military situation or otherwise where maybe the parents are busy or committed or have you know, a job that might take them away like truck driving or a deployment or anything in between. Sure. And or even yet, a nurse or a firefighter. Well, I'm thinking you can yeah. name every profession, yeah. Yeah. you know. My my kids get mad at me if I'm gone too long, like to the other kids' basketball game. I'm like, look, there's there's seven of you and one of me. I can't be here every second. So right. sometimes they're asking what's for dinner. They don't ask what's for dinner. Like this is a cool challenge to overcome. They ask what's for dinner. Like where the heck's our mom? And they're kind of mad that I'm not there. So I appreciate. I I'm hopeful that maybe in the future my children will see these opportunities have helped them gain some independence. Yeah. But I do think. A lot of it will come down to what you've expressed. I don't feel any bitterness in you. And I think that bitterness is so easy in today's culture to harbor. Yeah. We make a list of how hard things are. And then we kind of like take it almost like a victory that, look, I've got this is so hard and this is so hard and this is so hard. And then we almost use it as an excuse. Whereas the resilience I hear in you is you're able to say, hey, this was hard and this was hard and this was hard and I'm better because of it. You said that at the very beginning. My siblings and I are better because of it. And I imagine to a certain degree that's got to be a choice, whether it's conscious or subconscious, because you could very easily have Mm -hmm. told us this same story and said, oh, it's my mom's fault or oh, it's the Navy's fault. But you didn't. You've taken every challenge as an opportunity. And Michelle, isn't that? characteristic of, of real lasting resilience to yeah. be able to take the hard and not look at it as hard but look at it as growth look at it as learning yeah. look at it as self-reliance opportunity mm-hmm. yeah so i i really I, appreciate yeah. that some notes for me and my parenting mind of, of maybe how to and that you can't force your kids to think of anything a certain way but maybe how to help them frame that that difficulty isn't necessarily horrible and awful and to be chalked up as just one more thing but that it really right. could actually be. Look at the growth opportunities I'm giving all of my children. Look, yeah. how, look how much chances I'm giving them to grow. I'm such right. a great mom. I'm yes. such a great mom. And you are, yeah. and you should acknowledge that. I love that you brought up self reliance because I think that learning to find your own strengths and find ways to care for yourself is a real important aspect of building resiliency. And, and and that's a super important. And I want to say a lot of this stuff was just uh, surface deep. Um, I will say it really took me to the next level when I joined the service for myself and I became a Marine because uh, this Marine Corps boot camp teaches you anything. It's to it's to deal with injustice. Uh, <laughs> oh my gosh, you're the one I that's never that. wrong, but yet you're you're never wrong, but yet this guy screwed up. So guess what? You screwed up too. And yeah. you're all wrong. You know what? Um, and that's something I think a lot of adults struggle with. We struggle with the injustice in life. And then again, we kind of harbor it. And yet right. you kind of, you laugh at injustice like, oh, this life is so unjust. I'm just going to figure it out and conquer anyway. I love that. Yeah. 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 And, 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 and to be completely forthright, I'll be completely honest, Jen. Um, yeah. Uh, growing up there, I did harbor some animosity and, and some thoughts, but um, as you said, it is a, at the end of the day, it is a choice. And I have chosen to uh, look back on my past and be grateful for it, as opposed to continually looking back at my past as to why I don't have a future. Oh, so, I would say I probably love spent that. The, I, I would say that I probably spent maybe up until like my mid 30s feeling a lot of injustice in my life for 
you know, mm-hmm. what may have happened or how I was treated from my parents or whatever. And and I think part of it's maturity and part of it is yep. just starting to realize that life is just plainly unfair unjust. and unjust. And so eventually you have to change your attitude or you'll it's just be miserable choice. all the time. It's that choice yeah. element of resilience. Yeah. That I'll choose to exercise resilience and grow and, and learn. Yeah. That, that I just don't want to spend waste my time on feeling the injustice of it all. It doesn't really matter. So well, now that, what? It's like Luke just said, um, if you get so stuck on being bitter about the past, you've cut yourself off from the opportunities of the future. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Lots of great material here, Luke. Thank you for sharing your experiences as a military child. Happy Military Child Month. Um, (laughs) And happy birthday. And happy birthday. And. Well, you see, that could easily be a thing I could be very bitter about. I just found this you out. You never knew. Years. It's on fire. <laughs> <laughs> never knew. I, hey, guys, thank you so much for the invite. It was a real pleasure to speak with you. I look forward to seeing you both uh, in person again. Yeah. And, uh, and thank you, guys you so have much. A wonderful day. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for your service. And um, happy month of the military child to your boys. Yeah. Tell them, tell them thanks <laughs> I, from yeah. us because. Um, we appreciate it, them. Too. It is a huge sacrifice. Multi-generational. Yeah. Yep. Thank you. Thank you so much. Sure. All right. And to our listeners, thank you for listening with us. This is fun as we're in April, the month of the military child, getting close to May with Memorial Day. We're going to have a lot of military stories of living and deceased service members that I think are always so eye-opening and help us um, maybe stop for a minute and appreciate the resilience it takes to serve in the military. I know every time we interview anyone like Luke, I... I'm very humbled. I think, wow, I'm so grateful there are men and women willing to do this job um, in any branch of service, any time or conflict, location around the globe. So thanks to Luke and everyone else listening that has ever served or is considering serving because we appreciate you. If you are listening and you feel that you have a story or know someone with a story that you could share with us, we would love to have that story shared. You can email us at rrpodcast at ksl.com. Or find us on Facebook at Relentlessly Resilient or Instagram at Relentlessly Resilient Podcast. Remember, whatever you do today, remember to be kind. You have no idea the struggles others are dealing with in their lives. Have a great day. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.